This is the Walking Home from the ICU podcast. I'm Kelly Dayton, a nurse practitioner and ICU consultant. I help teams create awake and walking ICUs through evidence-based sedation and mobility practices. By hearing from survivors, clinicians, and researchers, we'll explore how to give ICU patients the best chance to walk out of the ICU and go home to survive and thrive. Welcome to the ICU Revolution. Hello and welcome back. Today we're going to be talking to Joanne Johnston. She was a 38-year-old that was admitted to the ICU in September of 2018 for mild ARDS. When she was initially intubated, she was requiring FiO2 of 100% PEEP of 16. Eventually she weaned down to, but was stuck on a PEEP of 12 and FiO2 of 50%. She was intubated for 17 days. Fortunately for her, she was awake and walking the whole time. By the time she left the ICU, she was walking over a thousand feet. She walked straight out of the hospital doors and went right home. She's with us today to tell us what it was like to be awake and walking on the ventilator. Joanne, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? Fine, how are you? Good. So tell us about your ARDS journey. Um, my ARDS, I started, I was admitted into the hospital here in, in my hometown on September 20th. Uh, two days later, I was life flighted and was in the ICU for 17 days, intubated. So yeah, I woke up that, that morning feeling just fine. By the end of the day, I was in, a in my bed with a blanket over me and I was freezing cold. The emergency room and my saturation, my oxygen saturation was below 72. And so I mean, it was given oxygen and admitted to the hospital with pneumonia. Yeah, then two days later, I was completely, the doctors here were baffled. They didn't know what was going on, why I was 100%. Um, I needed oxygen completely. Yeah, my lungs were pretty much shutting down. And so, uh, yeah, was life-flighted. And then spent 17 days in, intubated and awake. And, and so you were awake the whole time? As far as I know, yes. The whole time, I remember being awake through all of it. Um, and what was it like to be awake on the ventilator? Horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. I gagged constantly. You did have the strongest gag I've ever seen. Um, most people do not have as hard of a time as you did. Um, but you must have had a really strong gag reflex. And then for some reason, the two would move out a little bit. And that would just trigger you. So I do remember that you, you were exceptionally uncomfortable. Most people really are calm on the ventilator, but you had this terrible gag. And even still, you stayed calm. Yes. Why is that? I think it was just the will to, to survive, to thrive, you know, to, you know, I had realized that, you know, I'm not getting out of here unless I do something about it. And, you know, I asked you if you would have rather been sedated at that moment and you told me no, do you still Absolutely think not. how come? Because I think that, I mean, I was able to converse with my doctor and, and even though my doctor and I would ask him, you know, am I going to die? He never really gave me a straight answer, but 
at least I was getting answers. You know, and every time any of the doctors came in, any of the nurses, they were always up front with me, tell me what they were doing at all times. And so that was so much, it was easier for me to know that I think if I would have been asleep and I went through the, the I think is it called the ICU delirium at the very beginning. Uh-huh. If I had to go through that for 17 days, I think I would have been, you, be, you would have to put me in a loony bin. So tell me a little yeah. bit more about that. I think you were life flighted, right? You were intubated elsewhere and likely started on sedation right after you were intubated and then likely stayed on sedation while you were life flighted. And I know that once you came to this hospital, um, the sedation was taken off. But right. that was probably, I don't know, 12 plus hours of sedation. What was that like for you? That was horrible. I, I kept, um, I thought all the nurses were, were teenagers. Um, at one point in time, they were, um, I can't remember what kind of tests they were doing, but they were going right through the artery in my wrist. Mm-hmm. And yes. they, yeah. And it feels like, like you take a little tiny saw and just sawing into my, into my wrist. And so the, the, the nurse I had, he looked like a teenage boy and he kept telling me, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I could have swore he was saw, saw my wrist off. And did yeah, you know thought, what he was doing? Could you comprehend or cope with it? No, I didn't know what he was doing at that time. I, there was so many people around me and they're telling me to calm down and I'm going, calm down. Are you, cre- are you kidding me? You got me chained down at that time. I was handcuffed to the, the bed. And then, and, so you were res- probably restrained, right? You had your hands tied yeah, down. Because I, I was kept trying to take the, the tube out. Because nothing made sense, correct? Yeah. Um, and then when you came here and you, the sedation was taken off and you were woken up and everything was explained to you and clear, you never had restraints on, correct? Correct. That's great. Correct, um, I remember yeah. you um, doing homework with your daughters in the room. I did. My my daughters were very, uh, it scared them. Uh-huh. If I, again, I don't think I would have wanted my kids there. How old are they? My da- My oldest is 19 and my youngest is 13. But at the time, there was they were uh, seventeen and uh, uh, eleven. What did it mean to them to be able to interact with you during that scary time? Like I said, they they were terrified during that time. I think, um, but they were so glad to see me too because they hadn't seen me for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that that I wouldn't want them to be there, but at the same time, I hope that. They don't, they don't pick up a cigarette like I, you know, I did in the past. Right. You know, I hope they learn from my experience seeing the pain that I went through. If you've been listening to this podcast, you're likely convinced that sedation and mobility practices in the ICU need to change. The ICU community is facing incredible difficulty with the trauma from the pandemic, staffing crisis, and burnout. We cannot afford to continue practices that result in poor patient outcomes, more time in the ICU, higher healthcare costs, and greater workload for the ICU team. Yet the prospect of changing decades of beliefs, practices, and culture across all disciplines of the ICU is a daunting task. How does this transformation start? 
it can begin with a consultation with me to discuss your team's current practices, barriers, and to formulate a plan to help your ICU become an awake and walking ICU. I help teams master the ABCDEF bundle through education, consulting, simulation training, and bedside support. Let's work together to move your team into the future of evidence-based ICU care. Click the link in the show notes of this episode to find out more. How do you think the, um, the stress level or the emotional trauma would have been for them if you'd been sedated during that time? What difference did that make to them? Do you surmise? Oh, huge, huge. Uh, my, my youngest um, was very, very um, attached to my hip. Mm-hmm. And so to not have me there and not to be able to interact with me, I think it would have been de- detrimental to her. But to be able to be there with me, even though she, you know, she was scared to come up to me or, you know, um, I think that, yeah, that would have been detrimental to her. And you were helping her with homework. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you just, you, though you were confused a little bit at the beginning, once you cleared out, you stayed clear the whole time, correct? You were sleeping at night and awake during the day and aware of everything. Yes. Yeah. And you were, I'm looking back at your records, you were pretty sick. Um, you were requiring a peep of 16, though um, an oxygen um, requirement of 50%, but a peep of 16 is, is quite a bit of um, pressure. So you had some mild ARDS, you never had to be proned, um, like laid down face down, like okay. some people with ARDS do. But you still really required a lot of support from the ventilator. And so you were intubated for how many days? 17 days. 17 days. And, you know, when we talk about time or length of time being intubated, it's a little bit different. It's, it's almost comparing apples and oranges. Because when someone is awake and walking the ventilator, they, statistics show that they get the tube out faster. So even though you were still awake and walking, your lungs were so sick that you still had to have the tube in for 17 days. Right. So sometimes we think that if someone is able to get up, awake, be awake and walking, that they're not actually that sick or that we should take the tube out. But according to your ventilator support requirements, you were still really dependent on that ventilator and yet you were awake and walking. What did that mean to you? Or what was that like to walk on the ventilator? To walk on the ventilator because of my gag was, was horrible, but uh-huh. um, they kept, my nurses and everybody just kept pushing me and saying, if you want to get better, you want to get out of this, out of the ICU, you've got to get up and walk. And so to be able to get up and walk, and it's huge, you know. I, I, most of the arts patients, I can't relate to because I wasn't sedated. I was awake through the whole entire thing. And so it's huge to be able to just, yeah. That's an interesting point because that's how you and I became connected, right? Um, Right. I had joined an ARD survivor group because I wanted to understand the patient's perspective. And I'd asked, you know, there are hundreds of survivors from all over the country and, and the world who had been awake and walking on the ventilator. And one person electronically raised their hand and said it. I was, and I got excited. I thought, who else is doing this? And I asked you where you had been, and you said the name of the hospital, and I realized that 
I knew you. <laughs> you had been my patient. And so um, you asked for me to start a survivor group for this specific ICU because our course of treatment is different and therefore the outcomes are different. And so um, you're right. A lot of what people are talking about is their, um, their trauma, their PTSD from the hallucinations, uh, which you can kind of understand because you had that, that day of hallucinations and, and confusion. But 17 days straight, and, and in reality, um, it probably would have been longer than that. If you'd gotten sedation, you would have been intubated for longer, likely would have had that delirium for much longer, even after the tube was out. And so um, what does it mean to you to know that your, um, your treatment was different, your course is different, and your outcome was different, that you, you got the tube out faster and walked out of the hospital and went home? What does that mean? What does that mean to you? Be able to walk out of the out of the ICU and not have to go right into a treatment center um, to learn to walk, talk, and um, and everything. It was so rewarding, and I give total credit for my whole entire recovery um, to my Lord and Savior because I I probably wouldn't have made it. You know, it, this is just amazing that I was able to just walk out. You know, walk. I love it. You know. And you worked hard. You did your part. Um, you know, you were walking, what, 200, 400 feet, you, multiple laps around the ICU at least three times a day. Um, and I think that played a huge role in your pres preservation of function, being able to walk out of the ICU and go home. Um, I have a picture of your ventilator outside in the hall um, while you were in the shower room. So you were showered while on the ventilator, and most people won't even believe that that's possible. <laughs> so can you tell us what that was like? What did that mean to you to be able to take a shower, even on the ventilator, for 17 days? Uh, the very first time was not, was not very pleasant. Uh -huh. um, they had told me that if, if I wasn't able to get a shower or something, that they were going to cut my hair. Um, and so my nurse that night... Um, that I think it was the very first night. I don't know. Um, the very first shower was horrible. I gagged through the whole entire thing. Mm. Um, but after after that, my showers got easier and easier. And it was so. It once I once I started being able to wash myself. Oh. Because before then, when I ran out the shower, somebody else had to do it for me. But once I was able to wash myself. Yeah, when I was able to um, uh, wash myself, where there wasn't there was a nurse outside the door, even on the ventilator, you know, because I didn't have I had the event of standing in the shower, giving myself a shower. Yeah, that's pretty amazing that you were that's pretty amazing. Had, yeah, I think if you um, hadn't moved that whole time, if you had been sedated, sedated and immobile, there's no way you'd walk yourself to the shower like you did, let alone be able to safely stand in the shower. Um, but even intubated with extension tubing to the ventilator, right. you were able to stand with a peep of 16 or 12, whatever you were on at the time. Um, and even have that dignity of being able to wash yourself. It's amazing. Yeah, that was probably my favorite part. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I can't imagine going 17 plus days without a shower. That would yeah. be so hard. Um, so you went straight home after the ICU. Um, and 
46 to 80% of survivors have cognitive deficits. Sorry, 46 to 80% of our survivors have cognitive deficits a year after discharge. And now you're past a year after discharge. Do you have any cognitive deficits? I don't. No. Did you go back to work? I did go back to work. I went to work, went back to work probably uh, five months, maybe not even that. I probably sooner than that because um, I co-own my own business. So I kind of was pushed right back in. I was doing it at home part-time and then, you know, coming in when I could. Um, So yeah, I went to work pretty quick. Do you feel like you're able to keep up like you were before? Uh, for the first year, it was really, really, really difficult. Um, but yeah, uh, since this year, you know, I haven't had to be on oxygen, what, since for almost five months. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. For the first year I was out, I was on oxygen a lot mm-hmm. at work and, and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, there are lots of elements to the recovery process after the ICU. Um, a third of survivors, of ICU survivors in general, um, cannot go back to work 60 months after discharge. Um, what does it mean to you to be able to work and have the career that you were doing before? Uh, very, very rewarding because um, I, I could have lost it all, you know. Um, how old I don't are know you? what I'm 40. And to realize that I wouldn't be able to, if I didn't have the job I have now, I wouldn't have been able to, there's nobody that's going to hire somebody that needs to be on a or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little bit breathless today, or I came down with a cold and I need to be really cautious or, you know. Right. So it's huge to be able to go back to work, you know. And I and I didn't have what I've 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 heard other other arts patients where they've sat there and says I'm losing my house I'm losing everything I was so so blessed to uh, to come back to work so soon. I love hearing that. That truly is what this is about: is not just saving a life but preserving it. Um, and a lot of art survivors struggle with quality right. quality of life afterwards how is your quality of life even little after a year post discharge a little bit of problems with my lungs um, mainly in higher elevations um, when there's a lot of moisture in the air mm-hmm. um, but like I said I don't require the oxygen as much my oxygen saturation doesn't ever go above 95 but um, usually when it goes below 90 that's when I start getting lightheaded so my quality of life is I have an abundance of life, you know, uh, as compared to others, you know, yeah, others that have been in my situation. And yeah, yeah. So yeah, being awake, being awake is so rewarding. I, I would not change it for anything. As much as the pain, it was the worst pain I'd ever went through. It was the worst nightmare I'd ever went through. But yeah, I wouldn't change it. I'd still want to be awake again. That is so good to hear. Um, I've been called unethical, inhumane, all the things from um, other healthcare professionals that um, don't quite understand what it's really like for patients. So I am so grateful that you're willing to come on and share with us your perspective and insight. And I'm glad you're doing so well. You worked hard for these outcomes and you deserve them.
If you want to join in on the conversation, leave a voicemail at 801-784-0472 or reach out to me on Twitter. Schedule a consultation for your ICU, as well as find supportive resources such as the free ebook, case studies, episode citations, and transcripts. Please check out the website www.daytoniceconsulting.com. <laughs>